I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Austin Letcher. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. This podcast is created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Chords Cast. As always, my name is Ben Ford, and it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, right off the bat, I've got some exciting news. I'd like to introduce you to a new member of the Chords team, uh, Polly Gill. Polly, why don't you say hi? Hey guys, happy to be here. <laughs> Polly is going to be helping us out with a lot of the uh, daily maintenance stuff that's going on in the Chords registry all the time. So if any of you send an email or uh, make a phone call to our, our toll-free number, you're going to get in touch with Polly or Alyssa, as usual. Uh, so uh, we're happy to have Polly on board. She won't be playing too big of a role with the podcast um, creation as of right now, but she's helping me out with some of the editing and everything. So uh, as these pod, as Chordscast continues to roll into the future, um, Polly's going to be a big part of that. So for the month of August, our Chordscast is going to be released in two parts. Uh, we had some great dialogue and conversation, and I just couldn't cut all of it out <laughs> uh, to distill it down into one episode. So um, this, this episode is being released on the 1st of August, uh, and it's an intro conversation with, um, with a, a physician scientist named Dr. Soterios Kiros, uh, and he is a pediatric neurologist. And uh, Dr. Kiros has a patient named Kamaya. Uh, her and her mother, Brittany, are local here in, in, the, in the Sioux Falls area. And they will be featured in a new Netflix series uh, being released about mid-August here. And so we were able to, um, to have the great fortune to sit down and interview Brittany, uh, as well as Dr. Kiros at the same time, and, and really kind of hear their story uh, firsthand. Um, we'll hear about Kamaya's rare disease and uh, how their family uh, is facing that challenge. And, and we'll get to hear a little bit about um, their participation in this documentary series called Diagnosis, again, on Netflix. Um, and so the second part of this episode uh, will debut kind of mid-month around when that series starts on, uh, again, on Netflix. And you can kind of check that out, too. So, um so I hope you enjoyed this introductory episode uh, and that you hang out for the second part being released later in the month. Uh, Dr. Kiros has a contagious passion for what he does, and um, that certainly comes through here in these episodes. So you won't want to miss it, and make sure to share it with all your friends. Enjoy! Thanks for joining us on another episode of Chords Cast. 
Uh, my name is Ben Ford, as always, and I'm here with Alyssa Mendel, and we are so happy to be joined by Dr. Sotirios Kiros, uh, who is a, a pediatric neurologist who lives in New York City, but um, comes out and works with us here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at Sanford Health in, in, in what has become such an awesome situation. <laughs> so thank you so much, Dr. Kiros, for joining us today. Yeah, I'm very glad to be here with you. Uh, we're going to um, discuss a, a condition that is involved in a mutation in a gene called KCNMA1. And um, Dr. Kiros has been kind of leading a, a clinical and uh, organizational effort around um, grouping these families together and, and getting some resources out there. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to be able to talk a little bit about KCNMA1, and that's a mouthful. And so that we don't have to keep repeating KCNMA1, um, I'm just going to refer to it as KCN um, for, the, for the rest of this discussion. It'll be easier for everybody. Um, and I'm, I'm actually somewhat new to this, um, as, as, are, as are most people. So KCNMA1-related disorders are relatively rare. It's relatively um, newly... Uh, not newly discovered because the gene's been known for a while, but we're accumulating mm. sets of patients now that genetic testing is becoming more common and easier and cheaper. We're accumulating patients that have mutations or conditions related to KCN and developing, um, developing some knowledge. And about a year ago, I happened to uh, have a patient that came to me after a recent diagnosis, and that's how I got started in this. Sure. So uh, what can you tell me about the disorder? You know, we're... We were talking a little bit earlier about how there's the kind of these two components to it, uh, the seizures and the movement, uh, movement disorder. Right. So what's interesting about KCN-related disorders is, at least um, with, the, with the patients that I know from the literature and my personal experience, is there's two main phenotypes. And by phenotypes, we mean what, is, what do the patients look like? What do they yeah. do? Um, two main things that happen. One is seizures. So a lot of these patients have seizures and epilepsy. The other component that's related but really distinct from a clinical uh, standpoint are um, something called a condition called paroxysmal dyskinesia. And that's just a fancy word for saying a movement disorder that comes on all of a sudden and then stops all of a sudden. And you might imagine um, in this case, it's a, a person who's minding their own business and all of a sudden, uh, perhaps with a trigger, sometimes emotion can be a trigger, and sometimes just mm -hmm. out of the blue, a person will lose control of their muscles. For example, stiffening or limpness from maybe anywhere from a few seconds to, to several minutes. Um, and during this time, uh, most people are fully aware. They can, they can, they can think, oh, they wow. can hear, they can see. So on the one hand, they have this mostly muscle-related condition where they've lost control of their muscles and their brain is still they're with it. Yeah. On the other hand, the other problem that they can have are seizures. And what's interesting about this condition is sometimes some people can only have the seizures as what their disease represents for them. Some people can only have the movement part or they can have both. And what also is interesting is that it can depend on the timing. So you might start with the movement as a child and develop seizures later and possibly vice versa, although I don't know personally a patient that's had that, uh, th that presentation. Sure. So as a patient, if I were walking into your office, how would you diagnose me with this? Like, how would you know that this is what's going on with me as opposed to epilepsy or something like that? Yeah, good question. Because if you came to me with seizures, I'd say, well, mm -hmm. let's first figure out that these are seizures, which is not always easy to do. Mm -hmm. And if so, I'd say, all right, you have epilepsy. And then I'd be thinking, well, what are the most common types of epilepsy? What does this look like on the outside? What do your seizures look like? What do your seizures look like on the EEG? To try and see if it fits a pattern. 
Um, but in this case, the pattern that you see or what the patients um, show up with is something that we, we see every day as another type of epilepsy, but it's not. So you wouldn't immediately go to this condition. One, this is really, really rare. I mean, there are maybe dozens of patients that we know about all over the world, and it's hardly been described. This is not the kind of thing that unless a patient had come to me with this diagnosis that I'd say, hmm, I wonder if you have a KCNMA1 (laughs) channelopathy. It's, right, there's, you know, um, it's pretty rare. Um, Likewise, if someone came in with the movement disorder, the paroxysmal dyskinesia, well, there's lots and lots of patients that have similar movement disorders that are well described, that have been around for a while. And I'd say, well, most likely you have one of these other kind of movement disorders. And I'd say, well, there's not a great test for them, but we know the medicine, so why don't we try using those medicines? But when those medicines either don't work or don't work really well, and then maybe you start developing seizures, that would be the trigger to say, okay, let's step back. What's going on? Mm -hmm. You've got this movement disorder that's not really responding to the meds that I'm used to Mm -hmm. using. You've got seizures that aren't really responding. That's when you back up and you say, well, maybe we need more information. And the way patients are diagnosed with this is through genetic testing. They don't fit into any other um, disease that we know about, and we proceed to whole exome sequencing Mm -hmm. or a similar test where we just kind of shotgun and and, and we we basically study thousands of genes all at once, and this, this comes up, and we say, okay we have this this mutation, is this relevant? And then we see it in another patient, and then we see it in another patient, say, hey, these three patients kind of all have the same thing, sure. and now we know we've got a, a unique condition. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so um, I gotta tell you, it's rare to find a physician that's as passionate about a, a, a condition, <laughs> or as, a, as passionate about um, providing resources or a community for people living with a certain condition. You can, tell me, on your background, you know, where you come from, what, what makes you, um, what, what gives you such a drive for this? Yeah. Well, so first I should say I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert in this. As far as I know, there aren't really any experts. It's so new and all the neurologists that I know only have one patient. So, um, but what happened was, uh, as I had a, a young patient come to me soon after a diagnosis and, and you'll hear from her later. Um, her name is Kamaya as a patient. So she's five or six at the time, but she had been undiagnosed for a while until this whole exome sequencing found this diagnosis and she was told this is probably what you have. And so she came to me soon afterwards and I was like, wait a minute, I've never heard of this, you know? (laughs) So going to the medical literature, reading whatever there is to know, I educated myself about it. But what really struck me was, even though this is a condition that I didn't particularly know about firsthand, it really um, fit with my background. So I did a PhD in an epilepsy-related field. I studied single gene disorders. Um, I studied uh, neurons in a dish. At one point, I would um, I, I helped in labs that would take other patients with gene disorders and take their specific mutation and put them into stem cells or um, basically neurons in a dish. I helped in labs where we would take people's unique genes and put them into mice to see if we can we create a mouse model of this disorder to see if we can find treatments. So even though this particular gene, um, and we'll talk about what it does, right? So Mm -hmm. I haven't mentioned at all what this gene does. (laughs) Um, We'll talk about that, but it was related to almost exactly the kind of stuff that I've been doing in the lab and also with my epilepsy training, what I was trained to be thinking about. And I thought, wow, here's that, that, that one patient that's coming to me that really validates 20 years of education, you know, that I have and really fit. And I said, well, if, if not me, 
who, you know? Um, And I'm not that unique. There's hundreds and hundreds of physicians like me, but here I was with that patient in my office. And I said, this is an opportunity for me to really learn more about this condition to to help this patient. Because that's what my job is, to make sure the person in front of me is as healthy as possible. Right. Um, You know, we were talking about KCN MA1. So let's talk about what 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 that is right? What, what is, is it? What does it do? <laughs> yeah. what, what is that? So the KCN part means potassium channel, right? So on the you know the table of elements, <laughs> potassium is K. So it's a problem in a potassium channel. And how do how do our brains work? How do our nerves work? Our muscles? They really work through electricity. That's kind of how they communicate. And the electric flow mm-hmm. is done with ions: sodium, potassium, chloride. So when we say potassium channel, it's literally a tunnel through which potassium, which is a charged ion, helps. Um, modify the electricity of a cell. Okay, so what is the role of this potassium channel? Well, boy, if I could tell you in one minute or 10 minutes or five (laughs) hours, I would try. And there's certainly people, there's basic scientists who could talk for literally years about what they know about potassium channels and this one in in general. But let me just summarize it as, 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 um, as briefly as I can with the understanding is that there's hundreds of different types of potassium channels. But in general... Potassium channels in the brain, the muscles, serve um, to, to as a, uh, let me put it this way. You're driving a car, and there's a brake and a gas pedal. Mm-hmm. When you push on the gas, the car goes. When you let go of that gas pedal, the gas pedal doesn't stay on the ground, on the floor, right? It mm-hmm. comes back to you. Yeah. Likewise, the brake. When you push on the brake, you go down, the car slows. When you take your foot off the brake, the pedal comes back. Mm-hmm. Potassium is like that spring that pushes the pedal back. It says, whatever you're doing, great. Now I know you want to not do it. Let me help you not do it. In general, potassium channels try to stop whatever process is going on. Okay. So when there's a mutation or problem with the potassium channels, things tend to go more than they should. Sure. What are seizures? It's the brain going too much. It's overactive. Mm -hmm. You lose control of your ability to control your own brain. What are the dyskinesias? These, these movement disorders, the nerves are, are, are stiff, for example. You, you have lost the ability to tell your, your muscles, hey, I'm good, don't go. <laughs> and so potassium in general has this thing like that spring that stops things from, from going. And that's such an oversimplification, but I think it's a pretty good analogy, actually. No, it's, yeah, I've never heard it explained no, that, that way good. before. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I, I actually think I really came up with it, but who knows if I maybe heard it a year ago and I've, I've borrowed it yeah. as my own. So my apologies to anyone out there that said, oh gosh, seriously, that's like, you know, that's, that's an old analogy and, you know, don't take credit for it. So if I'm a patient coming in, I'm diagnosed with Casey and MA1, I think I said that right. Yeah, you did, yeah. What good. treatments would I be able to have? Is there a treatment or a cure out there yeah. for this right now? Really good. So first of all, if you were just showing up in my office, the chances that you're already diagnosed with it would probably be almost zero. Okay. Um, you know, just that it's it's so rare that if you came with nuanced seizures or a nuanced movement disorder, we would know that that's what you had. So we would try the typical treatments. There's lots of different seizure medicines that are out there. Um, you know, you kind of go with some, uh, some of the ones that are more common that work in general on average mm-hmm. for most epilepsies or with the paroxysmal dyskinesias. 
um, the movement disorder. There are lots of other conditions that cause the movement disorder. And if we didn't know which one you had, we'd say, okay, you've got one of these movement disorders. Let's try one of the drugs mm -hmm. for those. So it's, it's very much a trial and error approach, as is very common in a lot of things in neurology. But what we quickly find is that the seizures aren't really responding to the medicines that we're used to using, mm -hmm. medicine one, two, three, four. Some patients have tried six medicines. They wow. still have seizures. Um, some patients have tried dozens of medicines, maybe not dozens, but many medicines for the movements, and it hasn't really worked. And then mm -hmm. you step back and say, oh boy, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And then maybe you'd arrive at the diagnosis by doing additional genetic mm -hmm. testing, for example. And then you realize, oh, this is typical that these patients don't typically mm -hmm. respond to the common medicines we use for either of their two unrelated conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and that brings me to another point is in medicine, when someone has a similar disease, especially when it's uh, the same mutation or the same problem, we say, oh, you have the same mutation as the last patient or the, someone I read about in this KCN channel. What worked for them? Um, and you would, we, we tend to lump patients with the same problem together and say, well, they're probably all going to look alike and respond alike. And in many cases, that, that's true. Patients with KCNMA1-related conditions, one, they have different mutations. So they have different types of mutations. That mutation affects them in, in different ways. But also we know now among patients with the identical mutation is they can behave very differently. Some have only seizures. Some have only the movement disorder. Some have both seizures and the movement disorder. Some respond a little bit to some medications. Some have bad reactions to some medications. Mm -hmm. And the experience that one patient has doesn't always translate into the next. Sure. And that makes it really frustrating. Yeah. Because as scientists, as clinicians, we, we like to say, <laughs> hey, this worked for that person. This person's a lot like you. Let's do the same right. thing, which is a pretty good way to go yeah, about yeah, things. Yeah. Um, in this case, it doesn't always work this way. So we're still at the, at the very beginning trying to learn what makes two patients with the same mutation different and how do we approach them? Do we treat yeah. them like their mutation and try everything um, assuming they're more similar or do we treat them based on their, their, their seizure type or their movement disorder type? And we, we don't know yet. There's just mm -hmm. not, there's, there's really just no good research out there quite yet at that level to inform um, our treatment decisions. Sure. You know, we work a lot with, with uh, folks with various diseases in the rare disease community as, you know, we operate a disease agnostic registry. And so um, one of the things that I think is unifying, even across these episodes of Cordscast, is that folks tend to talk about how getting a diagnosis is a lonely experience and they, they feel kind of isolated because it's hard to identify your community. And so when you're thinking about something like uh, KCN uh, channelopathy, um, where you're, um, where these patients are diagnosed in different sections, like you say, you've got different, you know, different neurologists who have one patient, you know, right. um, what, what types of things are out there for them? Alternatively, what types of things need to be built up for those patients to, to find their community? Yeah, that's a great question. So, for example, um, you know, uh, the patient that I have, her name is Kamaya, and you'll be talking to, to her mom um, later today. Um, uh, you know, when you get this diagnosis, oh, here you go. It's a strange name, case in MA1. And it, what do you do with it? One, the people giving you the diagnosis don't necessarily know, not that there's not much to know right. about it. Yeah. There's no known treatments. You just Google it as a, as a patient. What, if anything useful comes up, or let's just say there's not going to be anything useful from the patient side, right? It's really right. Um, uh, scientific, medical stuff that doesn't help you understand things. There's no 
there's no patient registry for it. There's no, there's no, you know, if you have diabetes, you know, other people have diabetes. If you have seizures, yeah. there's other people with epilepsy. When you're first diagnosed, you don't know that there's anyone else like you. So one, right. like you were mentioning, uh, patients get frustrated. It's a lonely experience. Yeah. They might have gone many, many years before getting a diagnosis. Then they get a diagnosis, but it's not necessarily a good thing because it's, well, now what? Right. Um, so there are only, you know, a couple dozen people that, that, that we know about in the world. And so one of the, one of the things that I'm trying to do as a, knowing that this is so rare, is help these patients get some information, help their doctors get some information, right? When I first met Kamaya, I had to, I had to read about, well, what, what is this? What's going on? And educate myself about it um, without any, you know, central resource. So what I think is helpful for um, any kind of rarish disorder, but especially for, you know, the one I'm interested in, which is KCNMA1, is I want to help develop um, a more centralized um area or place or, or advocacy foundation, whether it's a website, just something. So if someone just goes to Google and says, what is this? They find that first step. Yeah. Who do I talk to? Where can I get more information? Um, uh, Kamaya recently actually got to meet another patient with KCNMA1 that lives overseas. And the families, you know, were just so happy to know, uh, to meet someone that had gone mm-hmm. through a similar set of experiences. Right. They were different ages. Uh, one's a boy, one's a girl. They had different types of, you know, how their how their condition affects them is different. But ultimately, they were much more similar than different. And even if there's not a specific treatment, I think, I mean, I think, I, I know, I know from all the other conditions I treat that when families and patients can communicate with other people who have the condition, um, it just makes things easier to, to handle. Yeah. Um, but what's also difficult is the physicians. You know, I didn't know who to talk to. Who are the <laughs> doctors? Who are your doctors? I, you know, it's it's right. finding the patient that knows the other patient. Say, hey, can I talk to your doctor? And then finding oh. their email, you know, and just trying to get information. So I'm also hoping to make it easy for physicians um, and, and, and just healthcare workers in general <laughs> yeah. um, uh, to share their experiences. And um, hopefully that will help add to what we know about this condition. Yeah, one of the things that we encounter frequently is that um, before there's a nonprofit board set up and a nonprofit uh, company you know, put together as an advocacy organization, what you see is a Facebook group of a whole bunch of people, um, you know, parents or, or if, if adults are affected, you've got these groups of young adults that are dealing with new onsets mm-hmm. of, of symptoms and things. And they find their community that way. Yep. And, and you know, is, is there anything like that out there? Yeah, there actually is a Facebook group. And that's the only, yeah. uh, you know, uh, central organization. That's the only place that I know of where, where families are communicating with each other. Um, Facebook has its pros and cons. It's not a great mechanism for sharing medical information. It's not great for physicians. It's really great for families to, to talk and yeah, meet each other, and that's, sure. that's wonderful. Um, I would like, so I'm actually in the process of trying to create some other, you know, Facebook-like, but just something more formal, more official, um, where both families and uh, healthcare workers can get information about it so we can take some of this energy that exists, you know, um, that patients have, mm-hmm and direct it towards either some group or some process where ultimately, you know, what I want to do is make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. I would love to help be one tiny little spark or voice that helps lead to a cure or a treatment if that's possible. So there are many, many people in the laboratory right now working on uh, KCNMA1 as a, as a channel. 
Dr. Andrea Meredith, who's one of those people who's really, um, really, uh, not going to call her the world's expert. Let's say one of the world's experts <laughs> in in this in this um, in this disorder. Maybe she is the world's expert. I don't want to yeah, sell her yeah. short. I just you know want to be careful. You know, you know, I'm biased with who I know. Um, but if we can get people who know their own little piece or big piece and centralize that knowledge and, and those experiences, patients can help their doctors know about them. The doctors can help the labs know about the patients. The labs can then say, oh, based on what the patients are doing in the experiences, maybe we'll design our experiments this way. Then based on those experiments, they can go back to the doctors. Mm-hmm. So really there's these three prong, the three prongs of the patient's experiences the physicians and their, their their treatment decisions and what they observe and, and, and treat and the, what they suggest, and then the lab. So patients, doctors, and laboratory, I want to create a place where all those three entities can really interact in the most efficient way possible. Yeah, absolutely, which is um, you know one way that I like to point out that CORDS has really built itself up to be that kind of central mm-hmm. hub in a lot of ways by letting patients tell their story through their questionnaires and um, over time by continually updating those stories, we have a you know an overall record and we can build up this kind of approximation of what that natural history can look like. And researchers and clinicians can use that to inform on what they're doing. You know, I was really excited when I when I heard about CORDS um, and learned more about it um, and also just, you know, excited to be here because it's, I think it's, it's the perfect, it's someone, it's, it's I, you know, talking with some of the other um, families and physicians and researchers working on KCNMA one. We're like, what if there was some easier way? Oh, we, we were we were thinking, what can we do to get this patient data and do? And then it realizes that we realize, well, maybe we're reinventing the wheel, and you all are sort of doing a lot of what we wanted to do is aggregating family experiences, patient experiences. What does your disease look like to you? When were you diagnosed? Yeah. All the exactly. basic inf- we don't have the basic information. There's little snippets, research articles here and there, two patients, five patients. But what if we could get everybody to put in their information so that physicians right. and researchers could say, "Oh, I'm seeing something here that's really interesting. Yeah. Let's take yeah. this to the next step." So yeah. I was really excited to learn about cords and the work you all do. Oh yeah, we're we're more than happy to to help with, and work with you in any way that we can. I think there's a lot of case studies throughout the um, CORDS history where we can point to times that um, people have filled out questionnaires for physicians um, in different studies, um, but they'll often say, you know, CORDS was the first one that asked me, like, how often I feel sad or how often I have a problem sleeping at night, Uh, you know, and and, um, getting all of these quality of life questions in as well as the what was your what's your BMI on this date? You know <laughs> those yeah. sorts of questions. The data is all important, but um, getting getting those quality of life things incorporated is um, crucial for steering a ship. Yeah, and just in general, um, you know, it's it's uh, not this, not this, not easier to be focused on, but but some of the, some of the questions are easy. When did you have your first seizure? What's your seizure type? And so we we just naturally as human beings we tend to go towards those easier questions. But some of the questions that are harder not only to ask and answer, but also to know what to do with is, well, how are you today? How were you before you heard the diagnosis? Are you better or worse than you were five years ago? Are you sad? Are you depressed? Are you happy? What Those kinds of things actually can be part of a disorder, right? So if I'm diagnosed with some some disorder, diabetes, I'm not going to be happy at that diagnosis. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But what if that diagnosis not only um, makes me sad to have, diagnosed with epilepsy, um, that's not something I'd want to have. I think I'd be 
unhappy about it. Right. But also we know that um, certain mental disorders, mood disorders, go along with a condition. Mm -hmm. So epilepsy and depression are sometimes a little more linked mm -hmm. than just the mere fact that you yeah. are, you know, have depressed mood because you have epilepsy. So those are the kind of questions that we can say, hey, is there a mood component that's inherent in KCNMA1 disorders yeah. or is it, you know, so, and then we can also treat those. So scientists or uh, clinicians can say, hey, you know what? 60% of people with your condition have whatever, problem sleeping yeah. or depression. Yeah. And you know in advance to really focus on those things, which we, we tend not to do as much um, for various reasons. Yeah, there was a, um, an interesting article I read recently. Mike Porath, the CEO of a website called The Mighty, um, had uh, given a talk at the World Orphan Drug Congress last week or the week before. And um, The Mighty has this website with a bunch of different topics, focus groups. And there's, there's, there's an area focused on rare diseases, and there's one on anxiety, and there's one on um, eating disorders or whatever. There's, there's all sorts of different topics. And he, he highlighted in his talk that 70% um, of people in the rare disease threads also follow anxiety. And, um, you know, that, right. that there's just this kind of comorbidity there that, um, that may not get addressed enough in um, making sure that people are, are um, uh, taking care of their whole self. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really important. And, we're, and, and in general, as a field of, of medicine and related professionals, we're, we, we, we now know that that's, that's part of being human and you have to ask those questions. And mm -hmm. so in general, regardless of the, the disorder, those, those yeah. types of things are being, being addressed more and more, which is, which is great because even... Even conditions, for example, like this one that doesn't have a known treatment. I mean, there are some of these, um, some of these kids, and most of the patients I know are, are children, but I'm sure there's adults, will have 200 seizures a day. They'll have 100 movement disorders. Like, they can't walk down the hall for more than a minute without falling or having a seizure. They can't be at school without wow. someone being... So they need someone right at their elbow or they will fall. Some of them are in wheelchairs when they go out. So, yeah. um, you know, I didn't even mention, you know, I talked about seizures and this movement disorder, but I didn't paint this picture of what, what, what they're like. And for many of them, it's, it's, it's a devastating thing. Families have to literally hold their children's hand every single second and sometimes that's not possible or it's really hardly ever possible so there's there's wheelchairs and walkers and helmets yeah. so even though these children might be lovely energetic happy and do everything that everyone else does there are those moments that all of a sudden they can't do anything yeah. and puts them at risk for hurting themselves right. and even if they're not even if they don't hurt themselves so let's just ignore for one split second that there's a risk for injury with each one. It's just socially, how do you have a conversation? Yeah. How do you go mm -hmm. out with your friends? How do you, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so I can't, um, it, it's very difficult. So when I yeah. see uh, and talk to these families, it's, wow, I really want to do something to, to, to help. Um, and of course, it's, again, it's not just going to be me. I really, what I can do is... Or one thing I've, I've tasked myself with doing is just, let's get this out there. Someone else... I want someone else to come along and say, this is going to be my thing. And I'll be like, okay, now this is our thing. And then yeah. it'll be a hundred people's thing. Sure. And then it's a big thing. Yeah. Your, your passion uh, certainly comes through as you talk about <laughs> it. And, and uh, you know, this is a short time getting to know you. Um, it's very impressive. Uh, we're behind you hundred percent. And I think that, um, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, the, the subsequent portions of this episode where we interact with some of the, uh, some of the folks that you've, interacted with in the community too um, and we'll um, include interviews from Kamaya's mom and um, and we'll get to hear that patient perspective as well uh, so 
Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Yeah, I love being here with you all. Um, and thank you for everything that you do in the rare disease community. <laughs> thank okay. you. And thank you too. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes' song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Chordscast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Chordscast.